Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, Happy Easter! We, uh, again, have been going through Mark's Gospel and going all the way through, starting back in January. We started in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the beginning of the, God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It begins in Isaiah the prophet. And we start on with this story about who Jesus is. And as we've gone through, we have seen him and, and what it means to, to know him, what the kingdom of God is all about. And he's, he's gathered disciples around them, and they've been from a variety of different places, and they've shown themselves to have moments of just immense, excellent vision and a lot of moments of cluelessness. And uh, we've connected with them because we often are so clueless in our own lives. Last week we were Good Friday scene and those times when Jesus was on the cross. He had been turned over to the Gentiles and and questioned, but then turned over to the guards who beat him and flogged him and mocked him. And the mockery that comes again and again through the last chapters of this story is striking. And we saw him on the cross. And there was that weird finish to that scene where at noon it turns dark on, on, on a time frame in the world where it, it, it was a full moon. It wasn't going to be an eclipse. There was no possibility of an eclipse. It turned dark. It says, something weird's going on here. And then Jesus screams out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the curtain at the temple, this, this thing that separates man from God, is torn And the testimony of a centurion, a centurion of all people, a man who is accustomed to giving out death, a leader of hundreds, he looks at Jesus as he breathes his last and says, surely this was the Son of God. This is striking, this whole scene. and And it makes us wonder, what's going on here? There were lots of other people who claimed to be the Messiah during that time, before and after Jesus, and, and many of them met their death. But nothing happened. They died and their disciples fell away. So what's going to be different about this? Well, let's finish this up. And we'll be looking at, at Mark chapter 15, starting in, in verse 40, and then on to chapter 16, verse 8, which is where we'll end. But after the the words of the centurion, it says, Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. This is kind of the first mention that we have of these women who are caring for his needs and have been since he was way up in the north section of, of Galilee and have followed him down here to Jerusalem. 
but they were there as well. Well, verse 42 says, It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. A second mention of those ladies. One, they have been there and watching what's going on, and now they're there at the entrance of the tomb. They know where this tomb was. So the story goes on. We remember they know where they're going. Chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. We'll stop there. The passage that follows this is, uh, by, by many scholars, not considered to be original to Mark in his writing, but something that others brought in to try and finish it because it felt incomplete. But we're ending there and asking, how does it stop there? If that's the place where it ended, if, if, it, if several centuries later they added in these other words, what are we to make of the ending in verse 8? It's all about these women, and they come and they see the tomb, and they're given instructions to, to go find the disciples and tell them, to meet Jesus in Galilee as he's told them all along. But they don't tell anyone. And they're trembled with fear. It makes us wonder, what is, what is going on? What is next? There's, there's many elements of this entire story which, which are, are perplexing. There's like, what is going on here? First you have, the, it's women who are being the witnesses here. Now in our day, that would probably mean very little to us. But in this day and age, to have the women be your witnesses was, would be to invite all kinds of scrutiny. Because women in those days were not regarded highly. They would never be used as witnesses to testify about something because they were generally thought by men to be hysterical and unreliable. And so one of the questions is, well, one of the commentaries that, that, that even one of the contemporaries has about this whole story about Jesus. Well, the, 
you can't trust the fact that the tomb was empty because women said it because they're unreliable. And they scoffed at the notion of Jesus' tomb being empty. And yet, if the disciples were thinking of making up this story, that this was something that they didn't see and witness and, and participate in, why would they put that in the story? If they wanted people to believe them, they wouldn't keep mentioning these three ladies as their witnesses. But that's who they had. These are the ones who saw that. So Mark includes them. And, and presumably, Mark's writing in his time frame, uh, people would still have known these ladies. They were still witnesses that could be gone to and say, did you actually see that? And they would say, yes, this is what we saw. But you don't have the sense that they were having any expectation that that's what they were going to find. They went out after the Sabbath was over, presumably later on Saturday after the sun goes down, and they go get the spices they need to anoint the body. This is, this is someone they've been following. It's an act of love and care for someone. And, and so they go the night before and they get the spices they need. And then very early in the morning, they, get, they set off and, well, they know what they're to do. Someone dies, you've got to anoint the body to, to, to cover it and, and put oils and, and, and scents on it so that it doesn't smell so bad. It's, just, it's, a, it's a way of caring and treating, and, and they fully intended to deal with the dead body. The only thing they didn't figure on was how they were going to get in because there was a very large stone in front of them, very large rock. How would they get that out of the way? And then they move into this scene. They notice... The rock's out of the way. So they walk into the tomb. And as they walk into the tomb, there's a young man in white there. If I was walking into a tomb very early in the morning and someone was up there, I'd be freaked out a little bit. And as the text says, they were alarmed. The first thing the young man says, don't be alarmed. Too late. It's already there. You're here. What is going on? And he says, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. You're not in the wrong place. This is where he was, but he's not here. And he's not here because someone's taken him away. He is risen. And now i got something for you to do. And gives them instructions. Go tell his disciples. And Peter. And to go meet him in Galilee. Well, those instructions were presumably things that the disciples, if they'd been listening to Jesus at all, should know. He has told this repeatedly that he's going to rise in three days and that uh, as he rises to meet him in Galilee. He has said this in chapter 8 and 9 and chapter 10 and in chapter 14. This comes again and again that Jesus says, on the third day I will rise and I want you to meet me in Galilee. Well, you'd think that if they believed him at all, they'd have some sense of, let's go check this out. I mean, he told this again and again, and you'd almost think it'd be like Christmas morning, right? The kids rushing down, oh, what's going to be down by the tree? You don't have any sense of this. You have no anticipation, no stories of the disciples going down to check this out. You just have the women going to take care of the body and finding something completely unexpected. 
what are we to do with this? What are we? And, and they're left speechless. And they go and they take off and they don't tell anyone. And, and if this is the end of Mark's gospel, it leaves it incomplete, doesn't it? We want to know what happened. How did this happen? What's going on? Where is Jesus? And, and Mark doesn't give us that. Where is he? All we have are instructions. Go and meet him there. Meet him where he told you he was going to meet you. And again, for the early church, this ending was, well, obviously, they, they've tried to fill it in. And, and they filled it in with pieces from Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel and other things that they know. We have the, the two on the road to Emmaus are mentioned in this, this following passage and, and, and similar things to his great commission in Matthew chapter 28 come into this. And, but, but Mark, I think, leaves this there. Because he writes this gospel for a people who knew Jesus. He wrote it for the church, for people who had heard about him and wanted to give him a fuller story, but leaves it complete or incomplete because they're discovering what it means from here. And what we see in, in, in Mark at the end of his gospel is that he doesn't, he doesn't give us one model disciple. There's not one model disciple here. Whether male or female, they all blow it. Peter in the passages before this, who had claimed so boldly, I, even if everyone else abandoned you, I will never do it. And you had that sense where Jesus was like, oh, Peter. <laughs> you know, before the cock crows twice, three times you're going to deny me. He's like, no way. And then as he's in the courtyard while Jesus is on trial in, in the cloak of darkness, he's identified, you're with that Jesus. He's like, no, 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 no. I don't even know him. And in the last curses and swears, and says, I never knew the man. And then here's the cock crow and is filled with anguish. And the women... They're given one thing to do. Go tell the disciples. And we have them faltering here as well. And I think instructive for us in this is that if we go on our own determination, and I don't think any of us will be as strong-minded and self-determined as Peter. I mean, Peter would just jump forth and do stuff but determination is not enough. If we're going to be disciples following this Jesus, uh, as David Garland writes, discipleship is established by Jesus' call and can only be sustained by God's mercy and his power alone. And we can take comfort in this fact when we fail in his commission, which we will most certainly do, that not only is it he who we rely on and depend upon to empower us to do this, but it is he also, when we falter, welcomes us back. 
because the message the young man gives is not merely for the disciples, whoever is left. It's the disciples and Peter. Specifically tell Peter to come back and be part of this. We're left with unfinished business here. And we're left with questions about what's next. What's going to happen after this? The early church reading this, they knew some of the stories. They'd heard the stories that happened in the Acts of the Apostle. And, and we don't come to this in a vacuum either. But to leave this story here with the woman saying nothing to anyone because they were afraid makes us wonder who's going to tell this story? Again, from David Garland. Many will hear the news Easter Sunday worship, and that's kind of what this is. We'll hear that Jesus has been raised, and we'll sing hymns praising God. And all too many will then go home quietly to eat an Easter dinner and go back to the routines of their lives, largely unaffected by the news. They are neither filled with awe nor compelled to tell anyone about what they know. Will the story be told by anyone other than the evangelist Mark? What stops it from being told? I think that's the call for us. Where will we go with this message? As we've heard and and seen this Jesus talk about the kingdom of God and and what it entails and, and the depth of pain and anguish that Jesus endured on behalf of mankind. And we see the stories again and again about why Jesus did this. He came not to be served, but to serve. repudiates the use of the temple, saying it's no longer worthwhile. There's got to be a new way to get access to God because those running the temple had made it not a house of prayer for the nations, but a den of robbers. A new way is opened and made available. And that's Jesus through his work, and through his life. But now, as we move forward, as his spirit moves and works in us, again, we take these elements of communion with purpose and intention, with this message, this meant something back then. This meant everything. And we remember it regularly because it is so powerful. We identify with this Jesus. In our baptism, we say, I am dead to my life and I am born anew in this life with God. And in communion, we take it and we say, his life is in me. And the actions, decisions, and things that I do come out of this life now that I live in the risen Jesus anticipating what is to come in eternal life, but living here and now with this making all the difference. That matters. Because it wasn't just his death. 
it was the resurrection. That death is swallowed up in victory. So now we walk through the torrential things in life, through difficult things that are thrust upon us by nature or by governments. We recall there are many nations in this world that to confess Jesus as your Lord is, is a confession that will lose you a job or lose you a house or lose you, lose you your life. But confess him still is what we're called to do. And so the question is, what will you do with this story? What impact does it make on you? Does the story come to you and the next step now mean that it just goes to a nice little dinner? Or does it impact you to the point where you can't but help? Say, this is the center of my life. What Jesus did for me makes all the difference. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, it is, it is astonishing the, the things that are here. The power and the working of your Son, Jesus, on our behalf. And Lord, I'd ask that your Spirit would, would convict each of us with the power of this action and its ongoing work in our lives as individuals and as a community of faith, but also in this world that you, the God of everything, loves this world so much that you sent your son Jesus to take our sin, to scream out his forsakenness on our behalf. And now for us to live by the spirit of Jesus that comes to us by faith. Guide us, Lord. Give us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing, but give us mouths and lips to speak well, to always be prepared to answer anyone who asks for the hope that we have. Guide us this day through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.